Well, good morning and a blessed Sunday to each and every one of you. This is an exciting time in the city of Atlanta as we are gearing up for a game seven for the Braves tonight. We know that God can be praised either way, but we will fervently pray for our home team and root for them and hope that the Braves have a great trip to the World Series in store for us tonight. Um, so we hope that you'll not only tune into this broadcast, but cheer for the city of Atlanta. We could sure use some good news in this 2020. And I hope that God's blessing and goodness has been apparent to you, even in the midst of the victories and the losses of this particular time that we're going through. The Conwishers, Kelly and I used to live in a small town that was also suburban New York a long time ago. Feels like even a longer time ago in dog years. And when we lived there, this was kind of small town meets big city. And when I mean small town, I mean that the post office was right next to the YMCA, which was right next to the town square, which was right next to the church of which I was the pastor. But the most prominent feature in the downtown of Summit, New Jersey, was this facility right here. It was the Summit train station because you could hop on an express train and be in New York City in like 45 minutes from downtown Summit to Midtown New York. It was remarkable and people loved living in Summit because you were able to be in the Appalachian Mountains and yet at the same time you could be in the city in a very short order. I found out that most of the men of the congregation who were commuting would leave really early and then they would come home late. And if I wanted to spend any time with some of the guys in the church, I was gonna have to kind of follow their rhythm and lead. So I would either hop on the train or hop in a car and commute with them. And I would go into the city earlier in the morning and I would sit in the train and talk to them and pray for them, sometimes read a scripture together. And I remember this one particular morning that I was commuting with a group of guys into New York City and we were riding the train together when one of the guys asked a question that has always stuck with me. He said, Pastor, when we get, I get the whole heaven thing and what Jesus means after we die, but what I don't seem to understand is why Jesus matters now. What difference does Jesus make to my life right now? And I remember I started getting into that answer. And as I was explaining the answer, I found myself rambling. And I remember using a lot of big words that I used in seminary and I kept talking and talking and it was one of those things that by the time I had finished, I had beaten the dead horse and somebody provided a nice easy segue for us to move on into something else. This was the pastoral equivalent of missing a game winning field goal and I knew that I had missed it. That what I had said was true, but it wasn't necessarily coherent. It wasn't necessarily something that people could hold on to, that it was concrete and could understand. And I remember when I got to New York City, I went to the New York Public Library and I was flipping through my Bible and kind of just a little sad that I hadn't actually answered that question very well. And then I remember as I was flipping through my Bible, I stumbled across a passage in Ephesians that changed the way that I could answer that question. Well, we're in the midst of a series on the book of Ephesians. We're talking about how God wants us to be united. God wants to pull us together and to make us one. And the book of Ephesians is divided into two parts. The first part of the book of Ephesians is all about how to find peace. And the second half of the book of Ephesians is all about being able to keep the peace. If I was going to respond to that question now 
If someone said, why does Jesus matter right now, not just in heaven for eternity, I would say it's in one word. It's in peace. Peace with yourself, peace with your neighbor, and peace with Almighty God. Jesus does matter right now. And I want you to hear one of the most important passages that will help to demonstrate that. Therefore, remember, the Apostle Paul says, you who were formerly Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that you were separate from Christ, that you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Remember that you were foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his own flesh the law with its regulations and commandments. His purpose was to form in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross in which he put to death their hostility. And so he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his own household, built together on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. When you think about what happens in the first part of the book of Ephesians, it's almost like a formula. This is the formula that it shows us in the book of Ephesians. You were once blank, but now you are blank. You were once dead, but now you are alive. You were once in darkness, but now you were in the light. You were once far away, but now you have been brought near. And we get to see in today's passage four of these fill-in-the-blank changes of how we used to be and how we are now. And so why does Jesus matter now? What difference does he make in the moment in time that we find ourselves? Jesus matters now because you and I used to be a foreigner, but now we are a citizen. Here's how he describes it. The Apostle Paul says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. In his wonderful memoir, Tony Blair tells the true story of a friend of his whose parents had immigrated as Jews in Europe in the 20th century to the United States. And as they found their way here in the United States, um, this mother had very little money and the father of the family had died at a very young age. And so the mother grew up in the United States and the son became successful and had given his mother some prized possessions, some remarkable pieces of jewelry that she could never have afforded on her own. When his 
mother died, they went to the safety deposit box in the bank and they saw that in that safety deposit box was all the different pieces of jewelry that he had given to her that he had hoped that she had treasured. But when they got to the safety deposit box, they discovered in the bank that there was actually another safety deposit box. This one didn't have a key and they had to break it open. And in it was her greatest treasure. And it was one thing. It was her citizenship paperwork. The thing that she had prized above all was the new status, the new freedom that she had been given when she moved from a country that was in great distress and because of her religion and her ethnicity that she had been given a new opportunity in life. This is what Jesus has done for us as we have been called citizens of heaven. And Paul builds on this as the great privilege in his moment in time, Roman citizenship. And let me show you a picture of what the Roman Empire would have looked like in the kind of first couple of centuries. I mean, it dominated the Mediterranean Sea and whole area. You could travel by land or by sea freely, probably one of the greatest periods of time when you could travel widely through all these different countries and cultures. But if you were a Roman citizenship, you were one who had the ability to do so with great freedom. And so one of the great treasures of her life was that she cherished those citizenship paperworks. And you and I, if we are in, Je in Jesus Christ, we have been given a citizenship in heaven. There's a true story of a man by the name of Wilfredo Garza. And for 30 in the United States, Several times he got caught without his paperwork and he was bused back into Mexico and every single time he would find a way to save up the money and would figure out a way to swim across the Rio Grande River and to come back into the United States. This happened over and over again and yet he lived in the midst of all of this fear and anxiety of not truly being a resident citizen of the United States. After almost four decades of this, one time he had the courage to walk into an immigration attorney's office. And after a little bit of research, they discovered that even though he was living as an immigrant, that actually they discovered that he was actually a citizen of the United States, that his father was born in Texas and that they just didn't know it. And so all of this time he was living as if he didn't have the privilege and the responsibility and the status and yet what we've discovered was that he actually belonged. You and I in Jesus Christ, if we're not careful, we will live as if we are foreigners to this world and yet we believe that God has not only created us but he's claimed us to be true citizenship, to inhabit this earth as well as the eternity as that he has put before us. Why does Jesus matter now? We don't have to live as a foreigner we get to be a citizen. Why does Jesus matter now? We live in the midst of so much hostility, and yet in Jesus Christ, we get to experience true togetherness. This is how Paul describes it. He says it like this, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, 
by which he put to death their hostility. Several decades ago uh, in Europe, they engaged on an incredibly ambitious project. The continent of Europe, as well as the island of the United Kingdom, they decided to build an underground tunnel together that was known as the English Channel Tunnel or the European Tunnel, depending on what vantage point you're looking at, or the Channel, as most people refer to it. This was an incredibly aggressive project. At one point, they had to go 250 feet below the bottom of the channel in order to be able to get this to work. If you've ever been on a train on it, it's remarkable. You go so far down and you go well over 100 miles an hour as you fly through this tunnel. But in order to make this project work, they had to get people from France and people from England who don't necessarily like each other all the time. And they had to get them to collaborate and to work together for this project. And what was challenging about this project is the number of differences, not just the languages between the countries, not just the customs between the countries, but did you know that even like the way that they deal with electricity in the two different countries and the plugs that they were going to use and the different accounting methods that they were going to do, it was a logistical nightmare. And they created these companies that had representatives of both English and French on there in order to try to build the English channel and channel tunnel and and, and it just they were it was constantly in the midst of conflict it was only through some great leadership that people were able to call attention to the fact that the mission of what they were doing was greater than the problems that they needed to solve they had to figure out with some good leadership how to be able to set aside all the regulations and all the different things that they seemed to care about in order to be able to form a company that could do this project really, really well. You know, in today's passage, Paul talks about how Jesus has set aside all the regulations and the commandments in his flesh, in the law, so that he might form a new entity, a new body, and that this is what has happened in Jesus Christ, that all the different religious, different ways that we view the world fall away in the scope of the gospel, and that his mission and that the sweeping scope of his purpose of forming a new humanity is so strong and so important that all those little things that we cling to just seem to fade into the background as we attempt to accomplish the depths of the mission that God has in store for us. The primary image of the stumbling point of this in the midst of Paul's day was a sign that archaeologists have even been able to unearth and that they have. And, and this is written in the Greek. I want to put it up on there so you probably can't read it. But in essence, it basically says that this is a sign that says if you're a Gentile and you enter into the court beyond in the temple where you're supposed to go back in the day of Jesus and Paul, that you would be killed. There was literally a dividing wall in the temple courts of where the Gentiles and the Jews could go. And Paul talks about how in Jesus Christ that wall is destroyed, that the differences are gone. When I was in late high school, one of the defining moments of my generation was watching on the news in 1989, the Berlin Wall being torn down. 
And it was just a few short years later when I was in college that there was a guy who lived on my dorm floor and, you know, we were talking about kind of what was happening in history and the reuniting of the country. And he could never talk about it with getting, without getting kind of misty-eyed about it because for, for him, this was not just a media event. This was about families being reunited together. This was about neighborhoods being brought back together. This was about people coming back together as one nation, one community. I remember when I got to go visit the Berlin Wall memorials that are located in the city of Berlin, and you would see images like this. And you would see what used to live in the middle of the city with words like why and madness on the images of the wall and realize that this dividing wall, this barrier was completely unnecessary. It wasn't keeping anybody safe. It wasn't a healthy boundary marker. It was a wall of hostility that melted away in the truth and in life. This is what happens for us in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, the things that tear us apart, keep us apart, and make us hostile to one another, they get torn down and communities get built back together. And so why does Jesus matter? Foreigners become citizens. Hostility turns into togetherness. And also strangers become family. Here's how Paul describes it. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. In other words, it's not just that you and I are given a new status in Christ or a new way of living in Christ. We are given a new family in Christ. It's not just about kind of the broader community. It's about what it means in the intimacy of family. When I was a pastor in Southern California, there was a hospital that was located in the community. It was a gorgeous hospital, and particularly the labor and delivery floor was remarkable with ocean views on one side and views of the coastline and the town on the other. And people often joked about how they wish they could stay in the hospital longer after a labor and delivery in order to be able to stay there because it was like staying in a really fine hotel. There was a member of the community, a guy by the name of Casey, and Casey and his wife had just delivered a child, their third child, and um, they were filled with the joy and enthusiasm of a successful delivery. But when the delivery was complete, they noticed that something was wrong, that in the pregnancy, that that had masked something that they had not been able to recognize and that there was an inoperable tumor and a metastasized cancer, and that that new mother was never going to leave the hospital. Casey went to the window panes of the side of this very hospital, pressed his face against that pain, and begged God to give him a sign. When he looked and scanned the horizon, he noticed as he looked, and he saw this right here. He could see that cross that was at the center of our campus and our church. This was a Saturday morning at about 9.30, a time when normally the campus would have been very still and quiet. Casey got into his car and he drove straight to the church just to see if there was 
anything he could do, if there was anyone he could talk to, and the campus was filled with balloons as we were dedicating the campus that morning. And it was a great celebration. And we were able to surround Casey as he came and just asked and begged for help. And that we told him that he would not be raising those girls alone, that he would have a family, and that the church would always be there with him as he would go through that journey that he would not be alone. Every single week for years, I watched Casey sit in the third row on the right-hand side as we would gather for worship, and he would hold that little girl in his arms as he would sing, surrounded by the family that had become his own. This is what happens in Jesus Christ and why he matters not just for eternity, but right here and now that foreigners become citizens, that hostility becomes togetherness, that strangers turn into family. And finally, ruins can become a temple. Paul concludes this passage by saying, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit primary image that Jesus uses to describe himself, excuse me, the Apostle Paul uses to describe Jesus in this passage is he refers to Jesus as the cornerstone. The cornerstone of the building for us today is often something we think of as kind of ceremonial where you etch something nice on it and you place it somewhere where people can see it, but it's not necessarily any different structurally from anything else. But let me show you a picture of what a cornerstone would have meant when Paul used this imagery a long time ago. It was not about uh, some sort of ceremonial thing where you could recognize or acknowledge the building. It was a particularly strong stone that could be used to support the building. It was there in order to help to keep it upright. And so you and I have a choice to make when we look at the imagery of Jesus being our cornerstone and that he is building us into a dwelling, into a temple. Will we allow Jesus to be the weight-bearing portion of our lives? Or will we try to hold this building together on our own? I have a friend who right now in the city of Atlanta is dealing with the falling apart of his business and the strain of his marriage. Everything that he thought that he could count on seems to be crumbling around him right now. And he's about to discover whether he believed in God as one kind of thing amidst all the things of his life or whether Jesus Christ is the one part of his life that will never fall apart and will never forsake him. My question for us this morning, because there will be moments when our lives will fall apart, is Jesus your cornerstone? Or, like in this image, Is Jesus just one more block in the Jenga game of your life? Do you have a cornerstone? Do you believe that even in the midst of the ruins of life, 
that God is making you into a dwelling, a temple, where his own presence lives. You do not have to wait till after you die in order for God's presence to be with you. He can be with you right now. Over and over again, this is the formula. You used to be. You were once like this, but now you are like that. Jesus changes us. He changes us in these ways, from foreigners into citizens, from hostility into togetherness, from strangers into family, and from lives that are falling apart in ruin into a place of worship. This is how he changes you. This is how he changes me. There are days when I wished I hadn't missed that game-winning field goal as a pastor, and I could go back in time, and I could sit in that chair, and I could answer the question succinctly and say, what difference does Jesus make now? He makes all the difference in the world. And that the answer is one word, it's peace. He will give you peace for yourself, with each other, and with your God. And that the thing we need to recognize as the, Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us in the letter of Ephesians, for he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. It's not a method. It's not a plan. It's not a program. It's not an agenda. It's a person. Jesus matters now because he invites himself as peace to be with you. I'm guessing if you're anything like me and like all of us, your anxiety in the last year, your concern, your fear, as we approach the elections and the uncertainty of what life is bringing to us, the anger and the unrest that we face in today's world, there is a solution. And the solution is a person. And he makes a difference now. And so let us pray. God, you're not only the Lord of eternity, you're the Lord of this moment. And we don't have to wait until the here and after to be able to experience your goodness and your love. That in this moment in time, God, you are available to us. That the very same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at our fingertips. And so I thank you, God, that you love us too much to leave us alone and that you love us so much that you will change us. And so thank you for changing the status that we have in our lives, the acceptance that we can find in you, the closeness and what it means to be a family, and that there is a part of our lives that can never be shaken. I'm so grateful, God, that you're my cornerstone. And I pray for anybody who is watching or listening or hearing this, that they would not just consider you one more building block in their life, but that they would make you the foundation. And I pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen.